0: We'll find Genesis 28. <laughs> Looking tonight at the subject matter of mamas, angels, and vows. Mamas, angels, and vows. Genesis 28. Yes. <laughs> Mama's angels and vows. Did I what? <laughs> it, you know, it worked out that way. <laughs> okay, I tell you what, let's back up to verse 46 of chapter 27 just to set the context. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, And take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women." And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padan Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of uh, Nebaioth. E.Eoth, excuse me. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, Then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. In 1980, Robert Redford had his directing debut in the movie Ordinary People. Maybe some of you saw the movie. It's a tragic film about a typical family who lives in the suburbs of Chicago. Now, the older of two sons has been killed in a drowning accident that was caused by his own foolishness. And the younger brother is racked by guilt, in fact, so much so that he ends up trying to commit suicide. Well, the father ends up leaving home, They are said to be, quote, unquote, an ordinary family. Well, let's hope not. Well, folks, as we begin chapter 28 tonight, we continue to see the lives of an ordinary family since the fall that was recorded in Genesis chapter 3. Now, it's the end of chapter 27 that gives the context. And what's going on there? Well, Rebecca finds out that Esau is planning on killing Jacob because of the stolen blessing. She says, Esau is planning to comfort himself by killing you. Esau is bitter, he's resentful. And what's he doing? He's allowing his resentment to have its full measure. To be in full bloom. Now folks, that's a dangerous thing when we are so resentful. uh, Resentful of what somebody has done to us that we're planning to do them harm. That is a very dangerous place to be in your heart. Beware if you ever find yourself in that position in life. That you're scheming how you can get even or do somebody harm. That is soil that Satan can use to sow some very deadly and dangerous seeds. And so here is Rebecca. She's scheming. She's trying to do what she can do as a mother. Now, you can't blame her in a way, but in her scheming, she sends Jacob away, and what she fears the most actually ends up happening. What is it that she fears? She says, I want, I, want to, I want you, she's talking to Isaac, I want you to send Jacob away because what good is it going to be if my soul is bereft of both of my sons? Well, that actually ends up happening to her. As far as we know, she never sees Jacob again. And then Esau moves away. So she doesn't see her sons. The next thing we're going to read about Rebecca is that she's died and she's being laid to rest in the cave of Machpelah, where Sarah has been uh, buried. And so she does, in fact, for all practical purposes, lose both sons. It's sad. In her scheming, she tells Isaac that she'll be miserable if Jacob ends up marrying the kind of wives that Esau has married. Isaac takes the bait. He agrees. So he calls Jacob and tells him not to marry a wife of the Canaanites. Now folks, while Rebekah's concern about a wife for Jacob is really because of fears over what Esau might do to Jacob, There is a very important biblical principle at work here. And what is that principle? Believers should not marry unbelievers. The Canaanites were unbelievers who worshipped Baal. Now you'll remember the false god Baal. Baalism was basically a fertility cult. And he was seen as being the storm god who brought the rains and the storms uh, to the land so that there would be fertility. And so the Canaanites would go to the high places up on the hilltops and they would build altars there. And in their view, Baal and his female counterpart had sexual relations and this is what brought uh, fertility to the earth. And so in Baalism, what what Humans would do is they would go to these high places to these altars and they would engage in sexual uh, activity thinking that would motivate Baal and his female counterpart to also engage in uh, sexual activity and again bring fertility to the earth. It was a fertility cult and the Canaanites uh, worshipped Baal. Now, when we come to the New Testament, we find that it is sinful for believers to marry unbelievers. It's referred to in 2 Corinthians 6.14 as being unequally yoked. I don't know why believers still consistently break this command, but they do. And usually as a pastor what I find is that it's typically a woman who has married an unbelieving man and she's sitting in my office years later and she's crying in her Kleenex. She thought she could change him and she found out she couldn't. And the weekends come and she's always fighting with her husband over church and how to raise the kids. She wants to have them in church. He wants the family to go off on the weekends uh, to do family type stuff. Whether it's the beach, the mountains, the lakes or, or just whatever. Hanging out around town and having a whole day Sunday to do whatever he wants to do. Trust me. I've met with these, these ladies many times. And they're in a constant battle with their husbands. Well, 1 Corinthians 6 and 7 has a lot of words to say to to all of this, not to do it. Now, if a man or a woman, either way, if, if they were both unbelievers when they married, and then one of them has become a believer and the other has not, then, of course, you stay in the marriage. Paul makes the point in 1 Corinthians 7... That a believer is always to be the agent of reconciliation. If the unbeliever leaves, he says, Let him leave. You're not bound in that case, but the believer is to stay with the unbeliever in, in that case. But anyway, back to the story here Isaac knows that he's, he's done pretty well for himself getting a wife from Laban's household. When Abraham's servant had gone there to get a wife for Isaac, that's when the servant came back with Rebekah. And so Isaac agrees that what Jacob needs to do is go to Rebekah's father's house. And so he calls Jacob and gives him the commission to go. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is Jacob's flight. Jacob's flight. There in the first nine verses, Isaac uh, gives the blessing of the covenant to Jacob that was first given to Isaac, um, first given to Abraham, and then to Isaac. Now Isaac is giving it to Jacob. And so Jacob becomes the third patriarch. He becomes the third patriarch. Now when Esau sees all of this going on, which tells me that evidently he had been eavesdropping, he goes off and marries another wife of the house of Ishmael. He's still clueless. He's still trying to do things his own way. This is his attempt to curry favor with his parents. But look at what he does. He marries into the family of Ishmael. Hardly the right thing to do. What's he doing? He's marrying outside of the covenant. Esau is showing himself consistently to be what type of a man? A self-willed man. Folks, no wonder Esau is in the shape that he's in. Esau is the type of man who though he has godly parents, however imperfect they may be, he's constantly going through life as the captain of his own ship, so to speak. He's making his own decisions. And he's not really thinking about God. In fact, it appears that God is never very much in Esau's faults. And that is a foolish way to be. Because God sees tomorrow we don't. And so how foolish to ignore God's plans for our lives. God would have known exactly the type of wife that Esau needed. God would have been able to lead Esau to the right wife. But Esau decides to make the choice on his own. I always think of, about the example, and I've, I've mentioned them on Sunday morning um, here fairly recently, and they've told me that I could. But I've always thought about the case of Bart and um, Michelle Deese in our church. Uh, Bart was uh, in college or just finishing up college, I believe, uh, at a church over in Charlotte that was thriving at one time. Green Memorial Baptist there at the corner of uh, Plaza Road Extension and Central Avenue. It's, it's no longer there. That's where the association uh, meets. But anyway, he was in that church. There were no young people in that church. And Bart told his mama, uh, I need to go somewhere like Hickory Grove. This was back several decades ago when Hickory Grove was beginning to boom in Charlotte. I need to go somewhere like that. Uh, I need to get in a big singles department. I need to find me a wife. And his mother gave him some advice. She said, Bart, I tell you what, why don't you stay put right here And we'll begin praying that God will bring you the right wife. Well, it wasn't long before Michelle walked in the door. And the rest is history. Isn't that the way it ought to be? Esau should have trusted God to be able to bring the right wife to him. But again, he's doing everything on his own. That's the type of man he has proved to be over and over again. Well, if you look at a map of the Holy Land, you see the direction that Jacob heads off in. He's headed north. Where is he going? To Padan Aram. He, He gets as far as he can before nightfall, and then he stops to camp. Now, Don't think it odd that he took a rock for a pillar. I'm sure he probably had some soft garments and things that he put on top of the rock between his head and, and the rock itself. The rock was just to provide some elevation for his head. Also, I would caution you to resist the temptation to do what Christians often do with biblical text. They can read too much into it. Don't say, well, this was a case in point that he rested his head upon Christ. Because Christ, after all, is what? The solid rock. Well, yes, that's true. Christ is the solid rock. But I don't know that that's what this text is trying to, to teach. Well, the second thing I want you to see with me is Jacob's dream. Beginning there in verse 10. Jacob's dream going all the way down through verse 17. As he slept, he had a dream. Well, take your Bibles and turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. What's verse one say of Hebrews one? Somebody read it. Somebody read it loudly. Paul, the servant of Amen Titus, who one world, two words. God, who at sundry times and diverse manners of faith in time passed, and to the fathers by the prophets. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. What was one of the ways God spoke to people? Through dreams. Now, folks, you have to remember, they didn't have the Scripture yet. And so if they were going to hear from God, God had to speak to them in unique ways. But today, we have a more sure word. We have the Bible. Folks, all you need to do to hear God speak, is to open your Bible and begin to read. When, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. I always find it strange that people today want to try to see God speaking to them in a tortilla shell. Am I saying that tortilla shell? They want to see God speak. I'm serious. They have the Bible, but they want to see God speaking to them through a piece of flour or corn. They don't want to read the Bible. They don't want to take the time and the effort to do that. But they want to try to find messages from God in the clouds. That's foolish. It's sheer foolishness. It's, it's ignorance. It's lunacy that comes out at times in people. But anyway, God did speak to Jacob in a dream and notice what he saw. He saw heaven and earth connected by a ladder and the ladder had angels going up and down on it. Now Jacob didn't deserve this communication. This this is grace. Jacob's not seeking God. Jacob's running from his brother. And in the midst of his running, God appears to him. That's grace. And in the communication here, what did God do? God promised to be with Jacob. The presence of God is the most wonderful of all blessings that God could do for us. Now, verse 15 here uh, reminds me of Philippians 1 6. And in verse 15, he says, Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What's Philippians 1 6 say? Paul says, Being confident of this very thing, That he who hath begun a good work in you will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. God says, Jacob, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to continue to work in your life until I do everything I've said I will do. I'm going to complete my work in you. Well, thirdly, I want you to see Jacob's response. Verse 16 says then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace then the Lord shall be my God and of all that you give me I'll give to you a tenth when Jacob awoke he was amazed he was amazed and said this place is the house of God and the gate of heaven now folks the truth of the matter is God is everywhere. Listen to Isaiah 40 a minute. Isaiah 40. What's verse 22 say in Isaiah 40? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. In verse 25 he says to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him says the Holy One. He sets above the circle of the earth. God is everywhere. Was God in that place? Yes, God was in that place. Was God confined to that place? No. Now folks, while certain spots can be sacred spaces for us, we need to keep in mind, as Paul said in Acts chapter 17, verse 24, that God does not simply dwell in temples. God is too great for that. All of heaven and earth is His. In fact, as he points out, heaven and earth cannot even contain God. Later on, the Israelites even thought that once you left the Holy Land and ventured into another country, you left God's jurisdiction. Can you think of a prophet who did that? Jonah, exactly. Maybe a little bit of that is in Jacob's mind. Uh, After all, Bethel is a long ways from, well, a long ways on foot from Beersheba, where he started out from. Beersheba is way down in the south in the region of the Negev. And he's gone about 50 to 55 miles northward, northward on foot. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he already thinks he's gotten away from God's presence. And he says, this place is the house of God and the gate of heaven. I didn't know it, but God is is here. Well, next, Jacob does something that shows up in the book of Leviticus. He anoints this rock. In, In the book of Leviticus, you will you will find instructions being given for anointing various things with with oil. Here, Jacob is anointing this stone. And then he gives the town a new name. He changes it from Luz to Beth-El, which literally means the house of God. El, God, Beth, house in Hebrew, the house of God, Beth-El. Now, understandably, some commentators can be very critical of what Jacob does next. Now, I hear what they're saying, but I I think we need to be careful of maybe not being too critical. In the vow, what they are critical of is the ifs. If God will do this for me, and if he will do that, then... I will do this. In other words, the reason they're critical of Jacob is that he appears to be bargaining with God. And folks, we can't bargain with God. Now, if that's what Jacob is doing, then yes, the, the criticism fits. Because truth, true faith doesn't bargain with God. But I wonder, though, if Jacob is only making statements that expresses what he knows at this early time in his life. Again, he doesn't have the Bible. He may only be saying, as I travel, if I indeed discover you to be who I think you are, then certainly I'm going to serve you. He had no way of knowing the whole picture that you and I today know. So I can see it both ways. But again, if if he's being Jacob and trying to bargain and bet both ends against the middle as they say, then then yes, that's not good. God's too great for that. But either way though, I, I don't really see Jacob as a changed and a converted man yet. That's going to come later on. It's a start. But I think his change, I think his conversion is going to be later on actually. Here he's still too much focused on himself. But later on he's going to wrestle uh, with the angel of the Lord all night. He's going to end up being a changed man. But let's bring all this home to us tonight. Jacob saw the angels mediating matters between heaven and earth. Now folks... That, that was the significance of what he saw, this ladder connecting heaven and earth, the angels going up and down. The angels are mediating matters between earth and heaven. They're taking care of things in heaven and earth, and they're having a ministry that connected both God's activity in heaven and God's activity on earth. But I want you to remember what happened in John chapter 1. You remember what happened in John chapter 1 that's an allusion back to this? You remember? Class, you remember? (laughs) Nathaniel. You remember about Nathaniel? Under the fig tree, and 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 Jesus said to Nathaniel, "Before you saw me, I saw I saw you sitting under the fig tree." Nathaniel says, "Surely you are the Messiah." And Jesus essentially says, loose translation, "You're impressed by this before it's said and done." You're going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. It's an allusion to this text right here. In other words, Jesus is the ladder. He's the connector. He's the mediator between heaven and earth. Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.5, there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so he's the latter, if you will, connecting earth to heaven and heaven to earth. Jesus represents God to us and us to God. He's the ladder. He's the bridge. He's the connection point. He mediates all commerce between heaven and earth. Angels are ministering spirits, Hebrews 1 says... That God sends to minister to the saints on earth. But it is Jesus and only Jesus who connects us to God. Jacob's concern that God will be with him. Well, in Christ, Emmanuel, guess what? God is with us. So in response, what are we to do? We're to worship God. And we're to surrender our lives back to Him. Not just a tenth, but everything we are and everything we have. We're to surrender everything about our lives back to Him, knowing that He who hath begun a good work in us We'll continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just like with Jacob, God will do everything that he has promised. God will be true to his promises. Folks like Jacob, life is going to be filled with ups and downs. But according to Romans 8 28, what are we told? That in all things or through all things, God works together for the good of those who love the Lord. Those who are the called according to his purpose. Ups and downs in life. Trials in life. Like Jacob. Yep. We're going to experience the same. But. God is going to accomplish his purposes in us, just like he did in Jacob. God can be trusted. Amen? God can be trusted.